Hi there, everybody, and welcome to The Hard Truth Inside the Football Industry Podcast with me, Philip Heidson, and I'm joined, as always, by Darren McAnthony, co-owner of English League One side Peterborough United. Now, before we start, we've got tons and tons to talk about today, um, but before we start, I want to just let you all know that we are actually looking to bring on some help with the pod. So specifically in the post-production space, so editing, increasing the audio quality, creating the audio and the video snippets, really helping us once we've uh, recorded the episode in the can, getting it out there and uh, helping us with promoting. So um, we've put aside a small monthly budget to um, get tiny, some help. Tiny budget. Tiny. It's, a, it's a pandemic, all right? We're looking for a pandemic discount. <laughs> In fact, if to to get the role, you have to negotiate with Dara. Oh, they'll be paying me. <laughs> Who do they got to contact? Yeah, they're going to go and send an email to contact at hardtruthfootball.com. That's going to come to me. Tell me uh, why, why uh, this would be a great fit for you, a little bit about your experience, um, and if it makes sense, and we'll reach out and uh, and, and connect with you. So. That, I just wanted to get up there at the uh, the top of the pod uh, before we lose everybody once we start talking about uh, football. But, football. Uh, football, business, the world, everything. Yeah. So by looking at the emojis that you sent me on, I think, Saturday night or Sunday morning, I think the football is a happier place for you this week than it was last week, Dara. Uh, yeah, it was... Um, I've had a really weird fucking week, to be fair. I um, On Wednesday, I had like an ingrown hair. And my face blew up and I looked like Quasimodo. Honest to God, the whole right side of my face was fucking massive. And I'm not one to go to like doctors. And my missus saw it. Mm -hmm. She was like, Jesus, you got to. And my whole right side was in pain then in my body. It was weird. And I picked at it and tried to, whatever, you know, didn't want to go into details. Anyway, she sent me to Harley Street, made an appointment for me to go see a dermatologist. So I went there on Friday because I was doing Sky on Saturday, and I thought, well, I can't look like Quasimodo. I'm quite a vain bastard, so I've got to, got to fix this issue. And uh, the doctor went, whoa, when I walked in the door. You know? And I was like, crisis, that's scary. And she's like, no, the infection. Yeah. So she basically scaled this thing back. I was on antibiotics. But um, then the game on Saturday, I went down, did Sky before, 15 minutes on Sky Sports Saturday. And um, to be fair, the manager told me on Friday, like, Dembele still wasn't ready because he'd just come back from COVID on Thursday. So he didn't want to risk him. So I was kind of apprehensive after what I'd seen the week before. Fleetwood had, you know, I studied data. Fleetwood hadn't lost an actual league. Forget the playoffs. They hadn't lost a league game for 17 games. You know, they'd beaten us twice last year tactically. They, they very much let us have the ball and kind of did us on the counter-attack. And they'd won, I think, their first five games this season. So I was kind of like, yeah. oof. You know, it's kind of one of them. You know, it's kind of like your, your bogey side. And yeah. I, I really like Andy Piley, the owner of Fleetwood. He's a cool guy. And they have a party bus. They, they, he, what he does is really clever. For away games, he takes like seven of his pals, I think his son and six pals and him, and they go on this big bus and they go, you know, off and have a few drinks and they travel on long away trips. Fair play. I, I love that. And they obviously went for lunch in town and they arrived and they were quite, because it's, you got to remember there's no fans, so you can hear everything. So they were quite mm -hmm. jovial in the director's box and, um, <laughs> you know, I'm, we're not really playing great. Now, mm -hmm. our, goal, our goalie had one save to make the whole game. So I'm not trying to make out like Fleetwood. I know Joey said in his interview that he dominated us and this. Yeah, they had loads of possession. But our goalie could have gone for fucking lunch. He could have gone on holiday if he had got the quarantine thing done. But, uh, you know, there was very little to do. Defensively, we were very strong, but we just weren't doing anything offensively. Yeah. Again, like last week, you kind of like going, what we, when are we going to get going here? When, yeah, when nothing's we, happening. Yeah, nothing's happening here. We're getting to a point and then there's nothing exciting. We like to be about shots. We like to be about 
you know, the final third of the pitch. Everything about us is crosses, shots, offensive stuff. That's that's we want to win five four, not one nil. That's kind of who we are, you know. And um, I've always said that. So for an hour, we're basically like that. And obviously, in the second half, same again. He did bring Dembele on at half time, and um, it's getting quite feisty on the sidelines, obviously. And and um, they scored. They went one nil up. Obviously, the director's box is getting a bit louder. They you know they mm-hmm. they celebrated and fair play. I've I've no problem with that at all. And. For whatever reason, I had this weird feeling all day that we were going to do something in the game. You know, you just have that sixth sense. Yeah. Uh, it, it got to the 90th minute and the five minutes went up. And suddenly we're playing really offensively. We're, it's like we've got nothing to lose. Last 20 minutes, we're at it. We're, we're Dembele's attacking. He's frightening the shit out of them. I mean, their back four is basically on their goal line with Dembele running at them. And um, suddenly it brings the rest of our team into play. We get crosses in, so we obviously get a corner. Ball goes in, then comes the edge. Jack Taylor smashes one into the top corner. What a cracking finish it was! Yeah, he's got that in him. He's just top class, that kid. And uh, and he hadn't had the best game, but that's what you want to see from him. You want to see him box yeah. the box. And then again, I was, there was four minutes left, and I was like, you know, we could win this here. And then in the ninety fifth minute, you know, the ball's put in, and it falls to Sammy. And again, Sammy, because he's miles away fitness wise, he hadn't had his best game. You know what I mean? He, he was like, in my opinion, he was probably miles off. But still, he needs another four or five games to get up to full speed. But quality he has. He can smash it in from 25 yards. And again, he just put his laces through a volley that came back. I think it was from Johnson, Clark Harris. And then it's gone. I still didn't celebrate the two goals. I know Fleetwood very much celebrated in our box. That too, must have taken you a lot to, no, especially no. in the last five minutes, right? Yeah, it, it, it does. But I've learned quickly that I can bite you in the arse quickly. So yeah. I tend to celebrate when the full-time whistle goes. So when the full time whistle goes, trust me, I was I was practically like Fred staring at the director's box. So I was dancing down the, you know, on the walkway. So uh, yeah, very very relieved. The manager was very relieved when I saw him afterwards. That that one meant a lot, and hopefully it will kick on our players because if you lose to Fleetwood, then you got to go to Sunderland who are playing well away from home. Suddenly you're staring at you've lost the League Cup, you've lost to Akron, and you've lost to Fleetwood, and you, you, you you're favourites with the bookies to win the title, and suddenly you're fucking zero for four out of the gates. The world's falling apart. Your fans are pulling their hair out. Everyone's having a go. The gaffer's under pressure. The players feel the pressure. That win was monumental because I never thought we'd start fast this season. I know everyone thought, oh, great squad. But I just thought after six months not playing football with everything going on, we're going to be that team. We'll probably take nine, ten games. And then if we mm-hmm. get going, we'll be unstoppable. So, I, 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 But I wanted points on the board. So there was a concern for a bit of the game. <laughs> 90 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's one of those that um, we all hope can happen when you're losing one nil going into injury time, and you know how many times does it really happen? So uh, you know, I was looking on, seeing that you were losing, thinking of you know not a great result, and then before you know it, um, you're winning. While at the same time, I'm pacing around my front room, uh, watching uh, us. Tr- uh, well, I saw that. I'm a data freak. We hadn't we haven't won from behind for 24 months. Yeah, which we- is incredible. Which is mad for us. We've lost 21 of 30 games we've led or we've been behind in. Um, and we've got nine draws. 21 losses, nine draws. And I didn't want to tell Barry and my partner Jason that statistic when we were losing. But I'm a data guy, so it's playing in my head. So, you know, that that finally broke the back of that. And now we can put that to bed and go on. Well, what's incredible about that is that you've actually still done as well as you have with that statistic. Correct. Because, I mean, that shows how much on the front foot you've had to be in, to to get the wins and get the points on the board if you've not come back. Two, when, we go, when, we go, when we go ahead, we're pretty good. So yeah. it's just finding that balance of being fighters. And I think the players found something on Saturday that's going to be good use this season, you know? 
so so i heard <laughs> i heard that you uh you, you came to uh have a conversation or uh, came across uh, everyone's favorite manager joey barton during the game what happened there shit I, well i didn't know that was public knowledge but um yeah, where my director's box is, he's like on the touchline. He's 10, 12 feet in front. He's a very vocal character. Uh, him and yeah. his staff, they, they fair play to them. They run the game. They run referees. They run the game. Yeah. Look, most managers try and do that. My manager sat up in the director's box for the first half. So his staff, they're not quite as aggressive as that. So they were quite easily ran all over with a referee. But there's a line. There's a fine yeah. line, right, between what you want yeah, your staff to do and... Look, managers are passionate. I'm not going to dig them out for that. That's the way they do it. That's fine. I I, I can't judge people on it. Steve Evans used to be the same. I cringe sometimes, but you know what? That's who they are. That's what they do. You, you know, let them get on with it because it works for some people. Joey's quite aggressive in that way. And I just at one point, he was having a go about one of our players again, elbowing someone and wanted a red card. And I just I shouted down, shut the fuck up. And because obviously there's no fans in the stadium, he heard it. He turned around. He said, look, you with your sunglasses, you fucking mug. And, you know, he, he, he gave me some verbals. I'm not that guy you give verbals to. I'll, I'll happily fucking meet anyone in an alleyway. I don't give a fuck how many times they've been put away for assault or whatever, you know. So I obviously said, listen, listen, you bully, come and get some, you know. And then, and then I'm thinking, now, this is silly now. I'll be banned for life by the EFL. And I want to give him massive credit because even though we had that big row, I spoke to him on the phone that night. Uh, uh, and I love people who can have a rock and not sulk about it afterwards. Like, I, I, I can be temperamental, but I will never not take your call. If me and you have a row now, I'll speak in two hours to you. I won't not take your call. Yeah. There are some people who go the other way and they sulk and they hold a grudge. And we had a really good chat on a Saturday night. And I had a chat with Andy, the Fleetwood owner, afterwards and all was well. Because there was no grudges held. Of course, there's needle. Of course, they're going to want to beat us when we go there. Of course, there's extra to it. But as a manager, he was top class when we spoke on the phone. And he was a really, really good guy. You know, we were just speaking about life and about football. And he was driving, I think, in an hour and a half to drive home from Fleetwood, where, you know, where, where mm -hmm. they got off the coach. And he was like, listen, big man, uh, you know, forget about it, you know. And he said, I'm a fan of the stuff you do in social media. So, and I don't want anyone listening to this, particularly Alan Swan, you know, trying to make controversial headlines to create an issue between me and him as a manager, because there is no issue. We spoke on the phone, we texted. You know, Alan, last week, I'd said something on the podcast that made it seem like Sammy was our highest paid player at the club. And it, it was a mistake of mine because he's not. The way I'd said it was the wrong way of saying it. I was trying to say there's a certain batch of players who are on a certain amount of money the same, yeah. and there's a younger batch of players. And Alan Swan yeah. then went with a headline, Sammy Smoddick's the highest paid player at the club. You've no idea the shit and grief that caused me during the week and the shit it can cause in a dressing room. So I always say, any journalist who listen, we understand you're selling papers and you need a headline, but be very careful. Particularly when we start speaking about some of the stuff we speak about later. You know, mm -hmm. at the end of the day, don't take someone out of context and don't try and, you know, be inflammatory. Now, Alan's not usually like that because he, he, he writes good articles, you know what I mean? So I get what he was doing, but I was, you know, misquoted myself, so I couldn't have a go at him because what he picked up off the podcast was me not saying it properly, you know what I mean? So anyone listening to this about me and Joey, we're pals. It doesn't mean we won't have a great rock when we go to Fleetwood. Um, but like I said, I respect that. I have no problem with that. Have a rock, move on. Now, you said that you talked to him afterwards. Um, is that normal that, you know, you as a, um, an owner of one club or just an employee even of, of one club is regularly speaking with like the opposition, oh. the managers, the chairman? I mean, yeah. is that kind of the community of football? No, or... no, no. There's lots of owners I don't speak to for obvious reasons, but I've been in football 15 years and I'm not trying to big myself up, but 
a lot of the managers, you know, I, during lockdown, I said a lot of managers, I spoke to four or five managers who were asking for advice. I still get yeah. managers. I, I met with a former championship manager a week ago. The LMA had advised him to come and see me on how to deal with chairman-manager relationships because he had that problem in his previous club. So mm-hmm. because I've been in the game a long time, and probably because I'm that bit younger and I'm nearer to a manager's age, they probably feel, yeah. and I'm quite approachable. So, you know, I have managers ringing me all the time. Um, you know, uh, same with agents. I get on with certain agents. I had Garrett Bale's agent the day he did the Spurs deal messaging me, you know what I mean, like about the posh and about stuff. You, you forge little relationships, I guess, in football. And whilst a lot of people will go, oh, McAnthony's a prick because they see my persona on Twitter or whatever, when they've met me, you rarely find someone who will call me that that's met me unless yeah. it's somebody I've had a real issue with, an agent or whatever else. So, you know, I, I, I speak to anyone in football. It's a small industry. I've always said this. We're going to speak about Jamie O'Hara later on and stuff like that. You've yeah. got to be very careful when you go into management about falling out with people because there's only 72 jobs in the football league. <laughs> well, let's talk about Jamie right now. Um, you know, I think that, so he's an ex-pro. He manages Billericay Town. Yeah. Um, is a host now on Talk Sports. Yeah, fair play, you know, he said he said something about Spurs last mm. week, saying that they're all spelled kids and so they only keep a couple of them. Yeah. And then, you know, somebody like me, I don't get exposure to talk, talk sports so much being in the States. So you start looking and it seems like it's a trend. Yeah. Um, it, can you balance being controversial and no. a career inside of football? No, no. you got to be really, really – I like Jamie. And he follows me on Twitter. And, and, and fair play, he dropped down to be a manager at Villa Ricky probably, you know, he could have still played in his career. Yeah. And he obviously wants to be a, a manager, a coach. I presume his ambition is to manage in the Football League. But he's also doing talk sports. And he's, he's good on talk sports. But here's the problem. You can't have both. And, and I would say this to any young coach or manager. You have to tread carefully. It's a football family. You can't shit on your own doorstep. So mm-hmm. you might be on talk sport and you're going on about Spurs and you're having to go at Levy and you're having to go at Mourinho, which, with all due respect, when you're a manager in non-league and you're having to go at one of the most decorated yeah. managers in the world... It doesn't come across. For me, it's not right. And I'm it's not, not a good look. Jamie might listen to this and, and, and get angry at me saying this, but this is advice from an owner of a club. If he ends up getting a club in League 2 or League 1 or higher and becomes a manager, and he could be a really good manager, the problem he's going to have is that club's going to look at hiring Jamie and go, if we hire him, we'll never get a player off Spurs. Now, a lot of lower league clubs rely on Premier League clubs for loans. Mm-hmm. So if he went to a club that was very, very loan savvy, who did five, six, seven loans a season, and say they'd always had a couple of youngsters off Spurs. Do you think Daniel Levy or Jose Mourinho would give them loans? I don't think it's going to happen. Right. So you, my, my advice to him would always be, you got to tamper that. And you got to, you know, if you're going to be this pundit, be the pundit. But if you also want to be a manager, now he might just not want to be a manager in the football league. So he might turn around and say, well, fuck it. I'm going to be a pundit. Fair enough. Yeah. Fire away. Knock yourself out. Be like Simon Jordan, who I've got a lot of respect for. And I, I love his opinion and whatever else. But unfortunately, you can't have it both ways. And that will be very, very difficult. I've always said this to people. When you're on your way out the door, be careful. Carefully you're kicking the way down. Carefully you, you see them on the way up again. Yeah. You know, at the end of the day, it's a very small industry. And that's why managers have left me. I tend to get on with all of them. Because my advice to them has always been, don't badmouth the club, me or anyone else, because it won't pay well for you down the road. You're going to need favors mm-hmm. of people like Barry Fry. You're going to need favors of me if another owner rings me and says, oh, what was Grant McCann like? What was Graham Wesley yeah. like? What was, you know, so I'll either tell the truth or I'll help them try and get a job. Yeah. So to speak. And well, you know, the next week or the next job or whatever, they may be wanting to sign a player who knows somebody who knows you. And I mean, everybody knows each other, don't they? Are there like a degree of separation uh, from everybody else in the industry? 
Yeah, there's a club right now who wants one of our youngsters on loan in League Two. And I had a real problem with that club last year. They shafted me on a player deal. And I didn't like the way it went down. So I'm in no way in a hurry to do them a favour. Mm-hmm. You know, But if that were Bradford, I'd do Bradford a favour because I've always had a great relationship with Bradford, as has Baz with Julian and, and the guys behind the yep. scene. Do you know what I mean? So we we did Bradford a massive favour on Cook, his wages, the time yep. of the contract last year. I was at an airport in Orlando when Barry rang me with a deal. I wouldn't have done it for 90% of clubs. But Barry said, can you just do this one for, I was Julian, I think, at the time. And I said, okay, yeah. I'll do it. I'll do it. We you need know. a cent and a half off you if you've got any going as well right now. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you, that was a great end to that game. I love that. The, 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 the seven minutes of injury time, I can imagine your arsehole was quivering. <laughs> I, you know, I was, I was telling you beforehand how I don't typically, you know, I, I'm usually able to watch these sat down. The last half an hour of that game, I was pacing and pacing and pacing around the house. Um, you know, we were down to nine men. We had both of our center half sent off. We were playing uh, three across the back. So we had an 18-year-old kid who then uh, probably broke his ankle or did something to his ankle in the last minute. So we're there with nine nine men. We have Lee Novak up for who's our striker in center half with another 17-year-old uh, holding on and holding on to a 2-1 lead at Forest Ooh. Green. Um, and then, of course, Bod goes up seven minutes injury time and six minutes in to injury time equalizer ends up with 11 minutes so Horrendous. i end up thinking i end up you know with reflection you're happy that you got a two-all draw away a team who are probably going to go do well this year with nine men but it didn't feel like that in the moment horrible so, to, do, to do with that late in the game yeah but i guess it was better than losing five nil at home in the league cup that we did on tuesday so yeah Correct. Moving on. So um, you said that you were on Sky on Saturday. What were you talking about? Um, they sent a reporter down so I could do like a segment on on the, the Saturday show, the one o'clock show or whatever that Jeff Stelling does. Talking mm-hmm. about fans back in football, um, the, the finances, the necessity of getting fans back in, you know, where we are in the pandemic, um, how it's affecting clubs. Um, I think it came across quite well. There was a lot of fans commented on it, but... Uh, Skylight using me because obviously I'm always quite transparent and very honest with them. Um, whilst my opinions might not garner favour with a lot of other people, you know there are a lot of people who think like I think. And you know I've, I've said it before and I'm seeing it now with the UK and they're we've got to do this for six more months and you know we might give you a day off on Christmas and you know all of the, you know you know turn the fucking lights out. You know the depression that's going to happen in the UK. I mean I'm reading headlines today about they're going to have fifty thousand a day in October and November and. You know, it's going to be 200 deaths a day a month afterwards. I mean, you just can't operate a country the size of the, you know, the England, Wales, you know, you just can't do this anymore to people. I mean, I I was speaking about it to my dad. He's 17. He was like, why are they doing this to like such a large percentage of the population who are never going to be affected by this? You know, so my dad said to me, he just said like, you know, Mm -hmm. they're destroying younger people's careers, their work, you know, the economy. And we understand people are dying and now a lot of older people have died from it. People with comorbidities have died from it. But, you know, an infection that, or a virus now that we know so much more about that affects such a small percentage of people, you know, in a certain age group particularly, to lock up a country or to go down the lockdown route and talk about, there was another football guy out there on Twitter today talking about, oh, we should do a two-week lockdown. And we should do another two-week lockdown. You can't fucking operate like that anymore. Anyone right. saying that you're out of your fucking mind. You just we've we've had this now for six, seven months. So what do you do? You lock up, you go back to work, 
and then it happens again and you're like you just can't people can't operate like that can't be stop start so you either come up with a plan and drive through it uh, and you do your best on the vaccine front and you do your best on the therapy front and you do your best to look after those most vulnerable and i don't want to sound heartless to those most vulnerable but you're going to lock up a large percentage of the population who this will never affect in any way can't, you can't do that i'm sorry so you know at what point we, a lot of people have taken one for the team for seven eight months and, and happily done it and i've said it the other day i wear a mask how long do you want me to wear a mask for though you know, how long before people say, well, actually, I want my life back. And people who are 20, 30, 40, who are perfectly healthy and have businesses and lives and children in school. So I just think it's the wrong approach. And I just think what the UK are going to do, if they go down that route, it's, it, there's no coming back for a long time. No, it's, you know, just as we're recording this on Monday and all the new um, guidance, and there was a press conference, I think, this morning as well about uh, all lockdowns tomorrow. Um, it's... I mean, interesting is underplaying it because of everything you said about the impact. But there's obviously two different um, uh, trains of thought here. You know, you think about what the States is doing at the moment, which really isn't. I mean, there's been no even talk about potential lockdown number two or anything like that. No way. It's not happening. Um, and you've got the UK at, at low numbers, but now worried it's going to go exponential again with all these crazy numbers, like you said, in what, three weeks, four weeks? They've had I seven mean, months. Phil, they've had yeah. seven months to get their hospitals ready. They've had said the whole idea was to, to make sure the hospitals weren't overwhelmed. Yeah. You get our mortality rate down, which the UK had one of the worst when it came to treating patients. You know, you're not sticking people on ventilators now straight away. There's so many other therapies now, the, mm. the steroids they have, the stuff they're using in the States, you know, the different realms of treatment, keeping it away from older people. Now that everyone's wearing masks, it's not it's not going to be like March yeah. and April. But you've had right. seven months to prepare. And your answer to the seven months of preparedness is, no, 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 we've got to lock it all down again so they don't get over. So we've gone nowhere in seven months, basically. Is that what they're saying? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and case, cases doesn't necessarily equate to right. um, death. And... You know, maybe earlier in the pandemic it did do because we didn't know all these things that you just talked about. 100%. Um, 100%. But now it, it just seems really extreme. Just feels it, really it, extreme. It, it, we, all, we all know that if you took all the care home deaths out of the whole equation in the States and in the UK, the figures would be a lot different. And, you know, it's it's the constant fear-mongering. It's the, oh, the after effects, the scar tissue on your lungs, the this, that, with all stuff that's unproven. There's no data behind that. There's no – and people call you. When you when you have an opinion like this, you, you, you're caught like a conspiracy theorist. you got your Pierce Morgans of the world and everyone else who, while they're going to work every day, want everyone else locked the fuck up. It's, mm -hmm. you know, so, so I'm all right. Let's do a lock-up. Let's do a lockdown, but no more essential service workers for journalists. I want them locked up with us. So, so, you know, let's, let's see how that changes the attitude then. The other thing I don't get is how it's a lockdown, but I mean, I'm happy that we can still get fans in grounds. We're still bringing fans into grounds on one hand. We're locking up on the other hand. We're still having other things that are open over here. It, mm. uh, it, surely it's all or nothing. Yeah. I, I, I mean, look, fans should be in grounds. Um, right. The whole idea to wear a mask was you could go back to some normality in your life. That was why you were told to wear a mask, right? Wear a mask, you can go to a restaurant. Wear a mask, you can go to the shops. Wear a mask, you can go back to work. Yeah, correct? Wear a mask now, you go back to sporting events. So if we're not allowed to go out today and do these things, what's the, why are people wearing masks? Mm -hmm. The whole point was, was that was what you were told. It's the information you're told. It's an ever-changing thing. They need to grow some bollocks over here in the government. Um, you know, I keep saying it to my missus, you know what I mean? You're British. What, what's going on here? And why are more people yeah. enraged by this? Um, mm -hmm. thankfully, you know, we live in the States, we live in Florida, 
there's no more lockdowns for us. We know that. So, you know, we, we're at the end of it now. And yeah, there might be a flu season coming up, but I think our president will have the vaccine out for those most vulnerable between November and January. Then the rest of America can have it from January to the summer. And if you don't want to take the vaccine, that's fine. Stay home. But I'll line up and I'll take it. If it means I can get in an airplane, if it means I can go away, if I can go in business, I can do things normally. I can go into a restaurant and go to the cinema. I don't have to wear a mask. I'll take what I, I'll, I'll take Putin's vaccine. Seriously, <laughs> <laughs> um, I would. I'll, I'll take the maybe, maybe coming. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, there's something that we wanted to talk about. It's you sure. know when we went backwards and forwards yesterday, we were um, you know questioning about what was going on related to this topic. It was something that uh, happened at the QPR Coventry game sure. uh, over the weekend, and it's sure. become actually a talking point. I think today, Monday, as we record, which actually I'm happy to see that, and yep. that's around uh, you know at QPR and Coventry, the teams didn't take a knee before the kickoff. Sure. And that sparked a lot of debate um, on Sky. So for those that didn't see that, could you just explain a little bit more about um, sure. how Sky covered that? So, and again, I'm going to warn any journalist who's listening to this who wants to try and, and you know, paint me as something I'm not because I'm making a comment on this because that's what's happened in 2020. People try and take inflammatory, a few words here and there and paint you in a different way. Mm-hmm. I saw it happen recently with Matt Letizia. You know, when he'd come out and questioned movements as opposed to the three words. What happened on Friday was uh, Coventry played QPR. It was a great game. I watched it. I was in my house. It was Friday night. And they didn't take a knee. The game got on. Our players, I don't think, didn't take a knee for a couple of games. So there is no there is no written rule about the knee. There's no uh, directive from anyone about you, you're taking the knee for 10 games until Christmas or whatever. Um our players, including me and everyone in our club, understand the three words are crucial. Black Lives Matter. Absolutely. No yeah. problem with that. Racism has been in football too long. It's been in life too long. It's the 21st yeah. century. You know what I mean? And, and if, if you start with football, people say don't bring politics into sports. I agree to a certain extent. However, racism shouldn't be in sports either. So we can't tolerate that. I've seen my own players get racially abused. And, and I'm all for spending money, doing whatever is necessary to get rid of it you know, doing it in the right way or whatever else. So yep. the players did this early on. They've done it. It's fine. They didn't do it. Come halftime, the Sky presenter has started digging out and having a go about why didn't they take the knee? And then the commentator, it was Jody McEnough or whatever from Leighton Orient, was mm-hmm. like, oh, I agree with that. We should all be behind the movement. That always makes me uncomfortable when they keep using the word movement because for me, the three words matter. I, I don't want to get into the movement. Us living in America know what that movement's all about and what's behind mm-hmm. it. You know what I mean? So... And that's where it always gets fuzzy in the UK because people don't quite realize when you start looking at ideology and everything else, the issues here. Um, Let's focus on the issue, which is racism in football and sports and life and whatever else. And it went on a long time. We just had a great game. It was four goals in the first half. And we spent the whole of halftime talking about almost shaming the two football clubs for not taking a knee, which is wrong because everyone has a choice to do whatever they want to do in their own way. If players want to take a knee, they take a knee. If somebody wants to invest in, for example, I've donated money to kick it out because I think kick yeah. it out can make a difference now more than ever. And I think it's a well-run organization, some great people behind the scenes. And I think money can be put to use, but sometimes you need money to get the message out there. You need money to make a difference. I'm not sure doing the knee before the game is going to make the same difference than a lot of money put together to really make a difference, yeah. to educate yeah. people better, better. Yeah. And I think if all the players got together, and form their own kick it out or form their own coalition with kick it out 
and all of them in the game raise millions, which they could do easily. We saw what they did for the NHS. They could raise a serious fund of money to seriously educate people going to football games, to seriously educate the people working at football clubs how to deal with racism and nip it in the bud when they see it straight away. You know, in other words, making a real, real difference. And I'm not having to go with virtue signaling. It's This is 2020. We've seen some of that. We've seen stuff that needed to be done. You know, we everyone saw what happened with George Floyd. We all agreed that man was murdered. Nobody would disagree with that. But the level we've got to now, where now what you're doing is you're you're alienating a lot of people who are just, it's, it's been rammed down their throats, but there's no follow-on and backup to it. And Les Ferdinand, after the game, the, the QPR manager was interviewed, and he was brilliant, Mark Warburton. He was what he said, because QPR, an unbelievable club, the work they do in the community, and when it comes to, to, to racial... Uh, injustice and everything else. They're just, they're one of the best clubs in the football league. So to suddenly have that thrown at them in that way after that game of football, I just didn't understand where, where Sky were going. I don't know mm-hmm. if Sky has made that choice or is it a change because of the ownership in Sky? It, you know, and it's all over Sky all the time. So it, it, again, Les has come out today and I thought he put a brilliant statement out today and he said, look, it, it, it's, it's losing its effect here. What are we, are we about change or are we about, you know, symbols? What are we yeah. about here? What can we do? And for me, that's Sir Les. You know, if you've ever met him, he's a great guy. Uh, And I've always enjoyed his company and I've done deals with him and everything else since he's been like running the QPR technical side. So I'm all for what he said. And I'm all for giving my time in any way possible to help eradicate this from our sport and my money, which I've already done. And I'm going to continue to do. And I've said this about in America. In America, it goes even deeper. It goes to schools, it goes to neighborhoods, it goes to poverty areas, it goes to places that have been so underinvested in, you know, yeah. that you've seen people who, who don't get the same opportunities grow up. You see the crime rates in these areas. So, you know, that's something we as a society have to fix. It's not going to happen today. It's not going to happen tomorrow. And people in sports who want to use their platform, that's brilliant. That's great. Use the platform, but also use your wallet. Because unfortunately in life, money does make a difference. Mm-hmm. And, and I know people hate hearing that, but it does. So instead of embarrassing or shaming our players for not knowing quite what to do, not knowing how to handle it, let's help create a platform for them, you know, that they can all actually get involved actively and finance it and and make real change. Does that make sense? Does does that make me, does that make me sound like, I don't know, uh, I don't know what I'm talking about or I'm on the wrong end of the argument here because I know some people are listening, maybe write something about it and go, he's out of order, he's having a go at BLM. I'm not. I'm trying to make it clear what I think needs to happen for change. Yeah, I, I'd say one, I'm, I was really pleased to see Les Ferdinand come out and say the things that he did today to support Brilliant. QPR and all the work that QPR is doing. And, and you know, like you, I, my perspective on this is um, we, it's a topic that absolutely needs the spotlight shining on it does anti-discrimination. Um, and I would, when, when they start, when the players started taking the knee when that came over from the States, I was actually really happy to see that. I thought it's actually good. It helps with the communication. It helps with um, bringing some attention because of how much attention it got. Now, the problem is when, just like you said, when does attention turn into action? Correct. So now we have, uh, you know, we've been doing it for, I don't know, three months maybe when they, uh, when they started doing it in the Premier League. And what's actually changed? Nothing. And I'm not sure that anything's changed and players are still uh, taking it. Now, I, I didn't even notice for our game on Saturday whether the players did or not. And I've, I've got a feeling that because I didn't notice it, they probably didn't. Yeah. Um, because players around the country, like you said, some are, some aren't. Of course. I think that... Um, and I empathize with we, all the players. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, 
players should do what they feel comfortable doing. And if it's a way that they feel that they can make their voices heard, um, they should do that. 100%. But uh, for not doing it doesn't mean that you you don't believe in what they're trying to do. You shouldn't be called out if you don't do it. And, and And that's where it went wrong on Friday. I felt they were called out, both sets of players, and that's wrong. You know, yeah. you, you, it's not like maybe they were being shamed on purpose, but the amount of time and attention during a football show that was put on the players not doing it was wrong. And now all of a sudden you got players worried if they don't do it. And it's like, well, hang on a second. You don't know individually what some of those players are doing outside of football to help. And so many players yeah. work within the community. Yeah. They do yeah. unbelievable work in the community. And now because they didn't take a knee, they're now being pillared and hammered. And that, for me, is fucking wrong. And unfortunately, in 2020, two white guys like me and you having a conversation like this in a podcast, you shouldn't really do it. You're told not to do it. You're shamed if you do do it because, you know, what's it got to do with you? And, you know, you're a pair of racists, you know what I mean? If you don't stand for it and whatever else, at the end of the day, you've got children, I've got children. I want my children and everyone's children to be all equal and grow up together, right? regardless of what they look like. I just want them to be all happy and healthy and give a fuck about anything else. And I want them all to get the same um, opportunities if they go for work, a job, you know, to enter a college, to do whatever. And we're now in the 21st century where we should be way past that now uh, and putting an end to it. So how do we as a football community put an end to it? I'm not sure what we've been doing the last three months is helping put an end to it. So now what Les is saying is let's come up with proper cohesive action put an end to it yeah it's like i think it's it's stimu- re-stimulated the debate Correct. to help uh, you know that that had a place in time to raise awareness sure but you know it, it, it's got to go beyond a uh, a patch on your shirt and taking a knee before the game Correct. um and i think that's one of the thing the good things that's come out of this over the weekend is there's now a renewed focus on all right let's you know enough talk what can we actually do about it uh, absolutely. And, and I think Sky and whoever runs it needs to understand that. And the people in their studio need to understand that as well. Mm-hmm. So let's move on to Macclesfield. I wish we had better news to talk about. <laughs> this is a happy one, right? Uh, this pod. No, obviously terrible news at Macclesfield with being wound up um, last week. I think it was largely over tax bills and um, bills owned to former employees. So we, we had a deal with the tax man where we could put off PAYE and tax back in March yeah. and April when COVID first arrived. And the deal with the tax man was, I think, from August onwards, you'd get four months to pay. But the key was, if we let you off those four months without paying, you had to make the first payment in August. My mm-hmm. finance person told me, we have to make that 500 grand payment or whatever it is, because if we don't, they're going to ask for it all. Yeah. So I would imagine what's happened there is, and I don't know, I'm not privy to the details, Macclesfield probably thought, well, we can knock that down the road again. And didn't make mm-hmm. you know that first payment, so more fool the owner if that's what's happened. And he also had a chance to sell the club last year. I, I, I'm not sure what's gone on there. It's fucking incredible. You know, good club. I remember going all the way there when I first bought Peterborough. We lost two one away. Yeah. Fans were abusing me. It was a long old trip. The the <laughs> stadium, Moss Bowl or Moss whatever, was like in the middle of yeah Moss Rose. Yeah, you Moss Rose. You went like into the countryside to get to it. I always remember my yeah. Saturday at the time, uh, whatever it was called, um, Garmin or whatever getting us there it was like a 300 mile trip took me nine hours in the day to do it and we lost and what really pickles me as well is and i see some of the managers owed money who'd worked there and i can't get my head around that Saul campbell the other manager and i'm thinking what was he paying them 
Like, if you're a club that's come up from non-league to league two, the most you should be paying a first-team manager at Macclesfield is probably 60, 70 grand a year. Mm. So when I see, like, you know, and, and also you should have, like, a six-month dismissal clause in there. So you're not paying the full term of the contract. Yeah. The 72 jobs, most people would die for a job as a manager. So you don't need to be overpaying. So maybe it might be gross negligence on, on mismanagement on how it's been run. Because they I were had, some big numbers that they owed their former managers. 170 grand, I saw. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I could not believe it. I'm thinking, what's he paying the managers? Now long as their contract and there's no get-out clause. Who are, and this is the problem if you get people who know nothing about football running football clubs. That's a real problem. I've been saying that for a long time. Now, we talked about it a little bit before about, uh, and Rob Zappolo asked the question um, relative to Macclesfield, but more generally about an early warning system. You know, should there be an early warning system is the question. And I'll, I'll kind of take the opposite side of that and say, is this just free market dynamics? A bit of both. Free market dynamics, definitely. But I mean, fuck me, with Macclesfield, there was like three warnings, wasn't there? Last year, they didn't pay wages. The year before, I think there was an issue. I think... They got deducted points and got thrown out of league too. I mean, Christ Almighty, there couldn't be any more warning system than standing there, you know, with your house burnt down around you. You know what I mean? And the ashes left. So, uh, I, you know, I, I've put forward my ideas. I'm not going to bore everyone again. Yeah. They can listen to previous podcasts. You're not meant to agree, you prick. Um, they can listen to previous podcast episodes about my <laughs> idea with the um, with somebody in there from football who who, who runs clubs that get in right. trouble. Um, things we could do. I put together a whole. Uh, list of ideas for the football league to fix this issue i'm not saying i'm the be all and end all but i've been around a long time um so change is needed because again you're going to see fans of a club like macclesfield if they don't get sold they don't get saved they're gone Mm -hmm. so the bailout any more news on an efl bailout um nothing that no um i read last week that was holding it up was the the prem wanted a they, they would give them money, but they wanted the champ to agree to a salary cap. And that was what was holding it up. And I was like, well, fuck you lot. We, you know, League One and League Two have done it. Why, yeah. why are we being punched? You know, figure out our amount of that bailout and give us our bit. And then you can fight with the champ. You can argue it. with yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they all get six million anyway. We only get a mil, mil and a half. So, you know, we're, we're the ones suffering here. Um, I know champ clubs will suffer as well, but we're suffering more than them. So if that's what's holding on, I really, really don't know, Phil. If, if, if I get too aggressive about it, the EFL will probably throw, throw me out of football, you know, because I've been going on about this since March and April. I don't know what the holdup is. I don't know what the issue is. I don't know why a deal hasn't been done. I've done more deals than you've had off dinners, and this deal should have been done. And it should have been done before the season started. And for us to now be nearly in October, and there's still no sign of the deal, or being told there is a deal happening and you're getting it November the 5th, uh, astonishing. Yeah, I'm sorry so many clubs are living on fumes right now. What's the next thing to fumes? Yeah. Right there. Yeah, <laughs> oxygen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yes, you're absolutely right. Those clubs who maybe haven't had assets to sell, um, you know, hopefully they've got low enough wage bills and they've done enough good business, you know, where they they, they can keep their head above water till January. Um, yeah, yeah, it's not a pretty time for football. We all know that. But we've been all saying that like broken records for months. Yeah. Um, football's needed help and if the government's going to continue and lock people up again and they're not going to let fans in again well they've bailed everyone else out the fuck about us why can't we get a bailout they've paid everyone what was it x amount of money to stay at home well okay well what about football clubs who bring in millions if not billions to the uk economy so you know maybe they're gonna have to get their finger out of their arse get their hand in their pocket and do the efl's job for them and give us a bailout 
Well, let's talk about some uh, some happier news, I guess, for you anyway, as a Liverpool supporter, uh, and get back to football. So yeah. you you signed uh, Thiago and Diogo Jota this week, uh, yeah, finally really getting good. the checkbook out. What do you make of that? What was really astonishing was I watched the Sky Transfer Show, and I like the guys on Sky, and there was this astonishment that the Thiago deal was done over the term of the contract with Bayern Munich. I was like, <laughs> What's the astonishment? I've been doing deals like that for 12 years, mm-hmm. paying them never and ever. And by the way, most European transfers are done over the term of the transfer. If you buy Sancho, you ain't paying 108 million up front. You're paying 25 million a year for four years. That's how transfers in Europe usually work. Domestically, yes, sometimes you have to pay up front, although we do over time. And, and most deals are, depending on. But nowadays, a lot more deals are done over time. So there was this big like oh my god almighty amazing how did they do this over four years it was like no no that's genius that's fucking normal so i don't know why everyone's like you know creaming their pants over that but the business itself fair play they sold the young boy the wolves the defender and they're obviously going to sell brewster so what liverpool have done is they've done what i've done many times they've gone out and spent 60 70 mil probably 15 of that is now with the other mm-hmm. you know 45 million over the next three years and they've recouped probably 15 20 by selling lovren um, selling obviously the youngster to Wolves and they're going to sell Brewster. So I would actually say cash flow wise, Liverpool, unless they go and sign a centre half or, or someone else, they're probably going to come out ahead in the window. So very prudent business. I was very anxious, you know, a week ago that we hadn't yeah. got any squad strength in there. And now with those signings, I mean, yeah, you saw Thiago yesterday. I mean, he was, he was like an angel the way he played football against Chelsea and, and I enjoyed that yesterday. And then. Um, it shows the other players in the team, well, oh, hang on a second, we've got some serious competition here for places and we fill the left-back spot. We've got Thiago in. Jota now can play in one of the, or two of the three fronts, uh, three spaces. He'll be a great addition. I dare say now you'll see another four players leave, you know, as, mm-hmm. as they bring the squad down. Uh, and great business for, for the Reds. Well done, Jurgen. Well done to the owners. You know, it's, it's obvious Fenway don't want to be spending, you know, money without bringing it in. And that's yeah. fine. Jurgen's been really honest about that. If you're a club that are honest with your fan base about that, people get on board with that for a while. And during a pandemic, if you can't get that forgiveness off your fans, I don't know when you will. <laughs> well, away at Chelsea would be a game that you would, uh, you know, back in the day, a couple of years ago, would really be in a struggle for Liverpool. But uh, No, not with, Lampard. not with Lampard as manager. I, I don't drink the Kool-Aid that everyone else does. And I know a lot of the people in the industry love him. I think, yes, he's a good young coach. Um he, he got a great job in Derby. He's got a great job in Chelsea. I mean, you know, some really, really nice jobs handed to him. Um, and I, I look at, you know, nah, I, I really think he could be, if they don't hit the ground running quickly, I'm not sure he's going to get the patience he got last year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I watched the way they played yesterday. No, I wasn't having that. Not with all the signings they've made. I know a few of them aren't ready and they, they have to, you know, bed them in. But uh, defensively, he's always been a question mark over him, even at Derby and now at Chelsea. You know, I'm not sure tactically, defensively, he's there. Um, but if he's given time, he could be a terrific young manager. But I'm I'm not quite sure he'll get the time there. If Chelsea, you know, lose six, seven games before February, um, I think he'll be gone. I'll tell you right now, go hire Bielsa. Some of these some of these clubs I said it before, right. didn't I? Sorry, Leeds fans. You know, I really rate that guy. Unbelievable watching Leeds play. God almighty, that football is just like whew, orgasmic to watch. I, I hate to say it, I guess I'll say it quietly, but I enjoyed watching the highlights um, of the Fulham game the other day. I mean, they they look strong going forward, some great goals. And, um, Let me ask I you mean, a question. If he, yeah. if he was an United manager, do you think they'd be losing to Crystal Palace in the first game of the season? Not a chance. 
not a chance. And you know what? He'd say to he'd be his dream for United because he'd be like, "Don't spend a hundred million on Sancho. I'll, mm-hmm. I'll, you know, I'll improve Greenwood. I'll improve such and such. I'll have them playing at a tempo." I mean, he he would be, yeah. I mean, any club look Leeds are a massive club. They ain't losing Bielsa. But if you were any of those clubs in the top six, seven, I mean, you'd be going. I'd have a bit of him for two years because I tell you what, he is some manager. Talk about a manager that seems to be on a or should be on a short leash in Oligan Solskjaer. I mean, all credit to Palace. But, yeah, um, I mean, he, he, no, Palace have done great. The good recruitment this summer, they're a really old squad. They've gone stale at the end of the season. They've brought in some young players I like. I like the the look of the recruitment policy. I love Steve Parrish, a great owner. Um, their biggest problem will be who do they replace Roy with eventually because he can't go on forever. Mm-hmm. So, but Palace usually start quite strong in the season. I think they'll obviously be with the young players they've got. This means they should get stronger as the season goes on, as easy and players like that get bedded in. Um, how's how nobody's gone and bought Zaha? I know he doesn't score enough and make enough, but if he played in the front three in a top six team, he would have fifteen goals, fifteen assists. Mm-hmm. And if you're telling me Nicholas Pepe is worth seventy two million and Zaha's no one's going to spend fifty, sixty million on him, football's gone mad. Because I would love him at Liverpool. Him coming on as backup for yeah. for Salah or for Mane. You know, wowie. I mean, you know, right or to the left. I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm a big Zaha fan. So, look, United, I'm a Liverpool fan. You know what I'm going to say about United? Uh, look, they like Ollie. They're giving him a chance. They're going to back him, I guess. You know, maybe they'll get a couple of signings. We'll see. But I, I don't see them. I still told you I was I was very much a Spurs. Uh, I think Dark Horse are going to be Spurs. I was backed mm-hmm. up with that yesterday. <laughs> now, what, what do you make of uh, Gareth Bale coming back? Great signing. That effect probably got them that result yesterday with their players. It was a kick in the arse. I like the left back. Um, really, really good signings. I think their biggest problem with Bale would be keeping him fit. He does tend to be made of glass a little bit at times. Do you know what I mean? In his last couple of years where he hasn't really played enough football. So it's right. keeping him fit. Where do they get him in the team? Do they change the formation, the way Jose likes to play? But, you know, now you've got like Harry Kane, you've got Son, you've got Bale. I mean, you know, they get Ali's head head right. I mean, I still think Spurs, and I still think Mourinho, even though the press hate him, is a top, top, top class manager. Uh, and I'm a secret Jose fan, so I was happy to see them win. Because I, I cringe at the shit written about him on Twitter and some of the media stuff about Jose. And if you look at his record at United, his period that Ole has had at United, I think Mourinho won two cups and finished mm-hmm. uh, second. So, yeah, um, be a really interesting season. It's going to be a good season for the Premier League. A lot of goals. I was watching a lot of the highlights yesterday. There's a lot of goals across football, more than I seem to have seen for a long time. So, <laughs> a lack um, of fitness. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, it feels like there's some uh, some reason I wasn't sure whether it was kind of the behind closed doors, but that lack of fitness makes sense completely. Uh, absolutely. L- lack of fitness. Um, you know, teams betting in, teams maybe, you know, particularly in a football league who haven't played for five, six months, um, you know, that pent up. Uh, anger about not playing mm-hmm. football so yeah the premier it's great to see it's great entertainment i mean the worst part for us winning with two goals in injury time is not seeing our fans and our players dive into the crowd um so you know that that has to happen i saw the pilot events we've got to get our fans back in stadiums do you know what i mean so like we said last week you know get out the hazmat suits you know let's you know <laughs> <laughs> let's make it happen <laughs> all right well with that being said we're going to go into a short break and then we're going to come back we have a ton of listener questions i know we're not going to get through all of them today but uh, we'll get through a couple of them and then we'll just take a couple of questions uh, related to business so uh give us a couple of moments and we'll be right back 
Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Hard Truth Podcast. We're going to go into some listener questions um, right now. And I'm going to start, let's see, with uh, Matty. Matty is an Ajax fan. Um, Matty asked if you had any horror stories about meeting a player you have agreed to sign only to be put off by their attitude, perhaps before the deal got over the line. Yeah, there's been a couple of players like that, to be fair. Um, there was one high-profile one. We were buying a couple of players from MK Dons years ago. And it was the manager who got a really bad feeling off the player uh, and rang me and said, look, we can't do this deal. Uh, mm-hmm. The player, it felt like it was below the player where they were moving to. So, um, yeah, and recently it's happened as well where a player has been kind of like him and Horn and, you know, been very, I'm only playing this position or I'm not coming. And it's like, yeah. we don't need date night at Peterborough. We don't need to compete with loads of other girls or guys to get yeah. that date. You know, our record is proven. So at the end of the day, particularly for a League Two player, um, at the end of the day, you know, when that phone call comes, you should actually feel fucking privileged. Um, yep. you know, the fact that we've had players who've gone from us to go and earn 32 grand a fucking week and become multimillionaires in the space of 20 months, I think we know what we do for young footballers' careers. So, yeah, I mean, many times I've, I've, I've got a smell of something and I've moved away. Mm-hmm. We, we once had a manager, I wouldn't name the manager, who came in and basically told us for his entire six months that he was a championship manager and that we should be happy to have him. Um, you know, nothing makes you uh, connected more to a player or a manager than that, right? <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Matt, Matty also asked, um, you know, what do you hope to see in a player during that first meeting? And, you know, how crucial is that first contact that you have with a player? It's important for the manager. He has to have a rapport. There has to be some sort of personality. A lot of players are quiet. They let their agents do the talking. The manager gives them like a, a presentation, a PDF presentation, video presentation, where he sees them playing, how we play. Um, you like to see enthusiasm in the player. You like to see him smile. You like to see that he wants mm-hmm. to be there. And if you, if you kind of get a smell that he doesn't, um, that's a problem. Because you're obviously yeah. committed to us when we buy players. So, you know, you want to you wanna get that sense of, I want the move. I want to come to Peterborough. You know, I want to be the next superstar striker. I want to be the next whatever. And if you don't get that feeling, you've got to back away. You've got to hit reverse and that bus. I call it the old B-back bus. Me, 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 me. It was the bus. <laughs> first out of the car park. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah, that, that's that's what you got to get from players. So it's very important to the young people. And sometimes young people can be shy. They can be a little bit timid. Some of them can be a bit arrogant. That's fine. I've always said 18 to 23, we can knock that out of them. We can help people grow up. Yeah. Now, if you get an older player who thinks they're too cool for school and you're a little bit below their level, yeah, fuck them. <laughs> you know, if you have a player who's shopping multiple clubs, mm. um, how much do you, how far do you go to try and convince him that you're the right one? Or is nah, that, you're just getting a, off on the wrong foot? We had a recently, we agreed a deal for a player um, with a club. We did a deal with a player on the phone. He was coming. Then he signed with a new agent the day afterwards. And the agent he signed with is an agent I've had nothing but issues with over the years. I hate dealing with him. And the player then didn't want to come. And the player wanted to speak to two other clubs. Then the, cl- then the player did us a favor and came. Then the player said, well, I don't want to play that position. This is where I see myself playing. And it's kind of like they're dictated. And in the end, I pulled it. And the manager rang me as well. And I said, look, we're good. We're, we have a good squad. I was being greedy with this one extra player. We don't need them. Um, let them go elsewhere. And they've gone and spoke to two other clubs so far. Uh, you start going down that route, and it's like, you know what? We're not signing Lena fucking Messi here. Like, right. calm yourself down. Uh, mm-hmm. And I made it clear to the agent, I'd had enough of him as well. And no more. No more shenanigans. It's just, no, sorry. Not for us. 
Right. I have a question from Amrish. Well, I actually have a couple of questions. Sure. Um, what impact, if any, does the media have on getting a deal done? Or does, in fact, the media hinder getting a deal across the line? Or the can media the can... media hinder? Oh, yeah. The, the media can hinder you big time sometimes. You know, we've had players we put in the Marriott Hotel and we've had someone at the Marriott, you know, back in the day, leak it. And then we've had issues. We ended up having to pay. We'd agreed a fee with a sell-on. We were paying zero. And because it got leaked by someone at a hotel the player was staying at, another club came in with a bid. And then Spurs made us pay, I think it was like 50 grand when we'd originally agreed zero. So, and that was a media leak. We've had leaks inside the club in years gone by. We've had local media jump on stuff and say things. And then they were signing a player, but I'll look at it and go, well, we're actually, we're not signing that player. And then all the fans get excited. And then the fans are devastated if it doesn't happen. So there can be a lot of pressure nowadays with social media on clubs and owners and everything else and, and people involved at a club to make a deal happen. We see all the different Twitter hashtags, you know, announce such and such, announce such and such, and then clubs announce, ooh, announced. You know what I mean? So, yeah, that's just the world we live in nowadays. It's very different. Mm-hmm. Now, when you have players, sorry, when you have supporters clamoring for a player, and this is a follow-up question that Amrish actually asked, like, do the do the fans have any influence on you going after a certain no. player or a certain position of player? No. No. For me, no. Not the way we recruit. Other clubs, mm-hmm. yes, probably. But I've never signed a player because fans have wanted us to sign a player. No, everyone wanted us to sign Sammy, but I was buying Sammy a year ago, two years ago. Right. You know what I mean? Long, long before the fans had even heard of his name. So, you know, um, no, there's never been a player that's been thrown at me on social media, peer pressure of, oh, you got to go sign that player. No, it's, you can't operate a business like that. Right. It's, um, you know, as much as you want to appease and make your supporters happy, um, you have to recruitment is a, is a method. It's a methodology. It's, you know, what you do, there's a lot of work goes into it. So suddenly throw it all out the window because, oh, you know, John Smith is a hell of a striker. You got to go sign him and mm-hmm. everyone's like, hashtag sign John Smith. No, it doesn't work like that for me. Maybe elsewhere, not for us. Um, a question from Graham Robertson. Graham says he's an Aberdeen fan uh, sure. based in Scotland. Um, he'd love to ask you if you feel that the salary cap in the lower divisions actually... Uh, help Scottish clubs compete for those players. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Because you, you, you would think if you're, you know, Aberdeen's a big club, so you would think Aberdeen could pluck. I'm not sure the top of League One players because of the transfer fees involved, mm-hmm. but they could definitely pluck good League One players and definitely top tier League Two players. Because a, if they can do the fees, the salary would be no problem. If Aberdeen's players earn, I don't know, two and a half grand a week as an average of three, I don't know what it is in Scotland then they could easily go and sign those players in those levels. 100% he's right. Bang on. Yeah. Um, and I guess my follow-up question, not to get you in trouble with any Scottish supporters, but how do you look at the difference in quality between the EFL and the Scottish leagues? Like, are you looking as a League One, you know, for players who can perform in League One, are you looking towards the Scottish Premier League? Or Yeah, we, kind of- we've, looked, we've looked at players in the Scottish and then the Championship below. Never below mm-hmm. that. We've always looked at those two levels, the right player, years gone yeah. by. Um, never really signed a lot of Scottish players. We did under Steve Evans bring in four or five. That didn't go well for us, but nothing to do with them being Scottish. Um, there's mm-hmm. some hell of, hell of talented players in Scotland. And, and and the other way you look at it as well is you can do some good deals um, for players in Scotland. So um, And there's definitely some talent coming from there. You've seen it this summer with you know QPR signing the striker. I think Forrester mm-hmm. signing the centre-back from Aberdeen mm-hmm. as we speak today. I saw something today in the press that a, a deal had been accepted and he's a top young player. So, um, yeah, uh, as regards to the standard, I'm not going to get in that argument because I know it was disrespectful. 
People are like, oh, yeah. it was a championship standard. You know, with Celtic and Rangers do well in the Premier League. We all have our individual divisions and countries, and you respect that. If we play, we've played a couple of Scottish teams in pre-season. It's always been a good battle. Um, you know, I respect Scottish football. Mm-hmm. So I have a question from Andrew Carter. This uh, will be the last one that I get to from the supporters, uh, from the listeners uh, this week. And Andrew is a Plymouth fan. Well, and Andrew just wondered if you could speak to uh, the George Cooper transfer and dealing with Plymouth. Um, yeah, Baz did most of the deal um, mm-hmm. with Lowy, the manager. So I didn't really get involved. The only involvement I had was the final say-so on, on yeah. the best way to structure the deal. We knew they wanted them. They didn't have the budget. Then they did. And when the time became available, they'd obviously cleared the decks. We knew the boy wanted to go there. He was very much very close to their manager. He he wasn't really at it for us in pre-season like we'd want them to be. Um, mm-hmm. I was saddened because I paid a lot of money for George. He's a very talented player. He scored a world-class goal from the 4-4 game on Saturday. Um, but we've got, we got a six-figure fee agreed. We've got a large sell-on. Um, I think Plymouth are going to do really well this season. And I think, you know, if he gets sold in future for a million or two million, we'll, we'll make a profit on the player. Didn't you just have, an, and I forgive me for uh, not, his name doesn't come to my mind, but there was somebody who joined Bruges this week who you had as a kid a couple of years ago. Young um, Leo. Probably been my first £10 million sale when I saw him at 15. Yeah. And he should have been. And he'll go on, he will play at the top. Uh, it's, he, he broke into our team at 16, 17. Fans probably got on top of him. He probably got overplayed too much. He was yeah. wonderful at 17. He was nervous at 18. And at 19, he was just, he was so much pressure on him. We sold him for a million to Wigan. Mm-hmm. Wigan gave up on him very quickly. Grant McCann took him at Hull because Grant was with him when he was at our club. Uh, got the best out of him. And I think Hull have made good money on him. And he'll probably get sold again in two years' time. He's still only 20. So yeah, he, so he was still only a young lad. Yeah, he's got the attributes to it. It's up here. If he gets that right, he'll play as high as he wants. All right, well, let's switch to a couple of business questions before we wrap up. Um, now, when we were kind of talking about some of the things that you would like to bring up today, I think one sure. of the ones was about really preparing for what's to come over the next 24 months or so with the um, the lockdowns and the pandemic and how that may affect, you know, I, I think people from a, a business perspective, but that that obviously trickles down to, to folks' wallets, even if you're not a business owner. Um, what are how what what are you wanting to share with folks in terms of how they should be preparing for what's to come? I'm going to sound like Doctor Doom a little bit, you know what I'd say in that. I would imagine if the UK continue in America, not so bad because I think you know the economy is coming back. Bar those three Democrat states that are still shut down, if they were open, I think the economy by the end of the year would be back to where it needs to be. Um, and I think next year, if Trump gets in again, I think the economy will fly. So I've no issues in the states. Um, the only areas I think that'll probably be depressed in the states would be the property market in California, New York, areas like that, because there's all the migration. People want to leave um, because of everything going on in those places. In the UK, I worry. I worry in the UK um, because of the approach to COVID the government's taken. I don't think anyone's seen how bad it is because everyone's been furloughed. You've got companies who are having wages being paid for them. When that ends, if it ends the end of October, I think it ends. And I don't know how long they're going to extend it if they do. You're going to see a shitload of companies who suddenly have now a wage bill that they haven't had for like six, seven months go, woo, we don't need 75% of those people. So you're going to have mass unemployment. You're then going to have those people who have had good salaries, good jobs, been able to pay their mortgage, their bills, go and shop in a cafe, go out for dinner, 
go into town and buy retail goods who are suddenly 80% poor, who will then stop paying a mortgage, will then look to sell their house. You'll then have a row of houses in the same street up for sale, which will drive the price of houses down. It will be a knock-on effect. Um, shops who aren't getting that business anymore from people, because some of them will be reemployed, but you're not going to get the same money. You're not going to get the same right. industry because various industries are just going to be absolutely destroyed from this. So the, you see it in football now where I'm paying less wages now than I would have been for certain players a year ago. So those players now would buy a lesser car, would go out and spend less on a holiday, would go out and spend less on Gucci clothes or Louis Vuitton clothes, but uh, that's on a, a different scale. Yeah. Well, one so, of the challenges as well is this time around, you've got technology that can, there's a lot of, you know, when I go out, in the business side of what I do, you see technology being used more and more and more to automate a lot of these roles. And that doesn't mean that all jobs are going to go to a robot, but it means a part of what you did may do. So then the rest of that role is going to consolidate across fewer jobs. It's just another pressure. But, where could but we- take it by industry. So mm-hmm. the airline industry, was 60,000 people employed in the airline industry, 80,000 people, probably going to be 20,000 by the time this is all said and done. So now you got 50,000 people in the industry out of work. Um, let's take the hotel and leisure industry. Let's take the yeah. tourism industry in London. Let's take B&Bs in Cornwall. Let's take all the things that rely on American tourism and tourism from around the world. Now let's look at all the jobs there. Let's look at cinemas. Do you think cinemas still employ 20 people if they did last year to run five empty cinemas five, six days a week? So you start going across, same in football. You're going to see thousands of jobs in football go. So I understand what you're saying about technology. You're absolutely right. People will move more automated to save on costs. And how do we save this? How do we save that? But if you just look at jobs and people, because that's what this is about, you're going to see the knock-on effect. It will start happening in January. It will get worse in the summer and by the end of the year. And that's if the government keep up with this palaver of locking down, making it difficult for tourism, making it difficult for people to go to work, making it difficult for people to have confidence to go out. Difficult for industries like ours and sports to have actual fans, the theater industry, all those industries. So I just, being Dr. Doom and seeing what's happening, I just think it's going to be two years of absolute shitstorm. And my advice has always been to people, and I've had people contact me who are already unemployed right now, is like hunker down, you know, as long as you can pay your rent, feed your family, keep your lights on, that's key. You might have to take an extra job. There will be jobs that come available. They won't be as high paying as before. So you're going to have to probably work twice as hard as before. And you're going to have to do that for a period of a couple of years. For someone thinking about buying, opening a business up, be very careful. Make sure it's very, make sure it's an industry that will do well post-COVID. And there will mm-hmm. be plenty of jobs as well. You know, I've invested in the cleaning company and other things like that where you think you, you do quite well off the back of what's happened with COVID. And that's horrible to say that, but people are going to do that. Um, if you're looking at buying a house, and my advice has been to a few people recently, don't fucking dare do it right now. Wait about 12, 14 months. You're going to get about 30% off. You go out and buy a home now, it's, you're throwing good money away. I had a pal of mine who was going to buy you know, 30 flats planning for it in an area for like 280 grand was the price. And I was like, listen, you get out for about 190 in about eight, nine months' time. Developers who've got completions coming up, the mortgages are going to get pulled. People are going to pull out. You're going to see what's happening. Now, mm-hmm. I don't want to be Dr. Doom because I've built my life and been Mr. Positive. Throughout 2009 and 2010, I was like, we're going to get through this and whatever else. But I got fucking battered because I was too optimistic. And now what I'm being is pragmatic uh, and I'm seeing it for what it is and I'm seeing what's coming down the pipe. And I've said it since March or April. And then when the data really started coming out and showing who's really affected by this is like what governments and and countries are doing, they're destroying their economies. Depressions are coming because of it. And I know you can't put a price in someone's health, 
and losing one person is horrible, never mind a million people from COVID or whatever the figure might end up being. But the knock-on in poverty, the suicides, the mental health issues is going to outweigh the amount of people who mm-hmm. die from COVID, in my opinion. By, 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 by the time it's all said and done, when you right. take an age group and the life expectancy and you see the people who've committed suicide and the people who've lost everything and who can't feed their kids, all those things will happen. And that's where governments need to be. Stop worrying about the media. Stop worrying about the other political party who's trying to use it against you. You know, get your countries open. You know, do what you got to do, but keep your economy moving. That's mm-hmm. the only way to get through this. Because if you go down the draconian route of Australia and New Zealand, it is lights out, my opinion. Now, I actually have a question. It was it's for Andrew Carter, who I actually asked the question about Plymouth earlier, who he asked, you know, if you had money to invest, if you had 25 grand to invest today, uh, and rewind back to your early 20s, but here you are in 2020 with the world that we live in, where would you put it? And I and I ask this uh, now because there may be folks who have been made unemployed, they have got a nest egg, they are thinking about a business, uh, sure. or at least trying to do something to put that money to work as opposed to just you know watching the savings disappear month after month. What, what are the kind of things, wh- where would you put your money? So if I could go back in time and had a time machine, you know, and we wish we all had a time machine, mm-hmm. I would have gone, you know, early 2000s would have been tech. I mean, Google only started in the year 2000. Mm-hmm. I don't think Amazon started until, well, I think maybe Amazon was around in 0102. Yeah, so it, it was IPO'd around there. It's probably only started two or three years before that. Right. So, so looking back now, you go, shit, that's where you would have put your money in, in, in tech, things like that, genius ideas that at the time didn't seem like it because who thought emails and you know google and all that crap would be so we'd be so reliant on it 20 years later who thought you'd be able to get a package in six hours on anything you wanted to buy online you know no one knew those things were were, were feasible so if you're looking to invest now where i've I've invested in a couple of businesses one's an industrial cleaning company i've done a bit of i started investing in may who's taking up jobs and we got some special cleaning stuff to do with covid and we got a few contracts and hotels and businesses in the states so that was one i did straight away because I knew that was post-COVID, probably a pretty savvy business and whatever. Mm-hmm. So I took a punt. The second one I've taken a punt on recently is a pal of mine came to me about um, uh, electric scooters. And basically, I've invested 50 grand in that. Because yeah. obviously, you know, what's happening in the UK and the world and everything else, Extinction Rebellion, you know, the environment. And, and everyone knows I'm not a massive environmentalist. But you can see the way things are going. And anything that's like eco-based, I think, is like a clever punt. So I've taken a 50 grand punt on that. I've got another partner who's come in and also taken 50 grand. And we've got a website and a business launching at the end of October on that to sell great uh, stock. And, uh, you know, the company's called Velo. uh, And it's a good company. And we're actually looking at the moment for a photographer. I've got a thousand pounds for a photographer, full day's work. You've got to have some quality photos to show, send them in to fill. And I'll give you the work. We're doing some film and shoot with, with, with obviously doing a film, but we also need a photographer for the day. And that's all I'm willing to pay for the day for a tip-top young up-and-coming photographer. A grand maximum all in. So and they're the kind gonna, of things. That's going to be the UK, is it? You're doing uh, that in yeah, London? UK, yeah. We're doing, that, we're doing it, I think, around Brighton in a couple of okay. weeks' time. So because Brighton's quite an eco city. Um, so all those, anything you can invest in environmental-wise, great. Property-wise, I'd be a little bit weary about you know, developments, because I think anyone who's got a few quid in about 15 months' time can buy some stuff off the banks where they're going to do really well. I missed the 2011 to 2014 comeback on property. 
And that was my biggest gig where I did really well as a youngster. Because I was like caught up in so much shite from 08, 09 onwards because of what happened with that mass recession. I didn't have the liquidity. And if I had the liquidity at the time to go back in, I'd have been a billionaire today. And I'm kind of got my eye on that in the next 18 months. You know, there's going to be some great property deals because things will come back. You know, unfortunately, it's just when. It's not if, it's when. Things will come back. That's life. You know, this is like one of the most horrible down periods we're going to see in our livelihoods. But it will come back. And it's making sure you're in a position to seize that opportunity if it comes back. And I'm not trying to deter anyone from opening a business now because... God help us, we're going to need we're going to need jobs created. So we're going to need entrepreneurs out there who've got ideas, who've got money, who want to you know open businesses. You know, send me business plans. I've always said this. I'm always open to investing in something good. So we need entrepreneurial spirit more than ever over the next couple of years. What we don't need is the spirit where we just want to sit back and let the government pay us to stay at home. Right. That's not going to work. I know mm-hmm. some people hate capitalism. They love socialism. I'm a capitalist. It's the way the world works. Yeah. You want to you go down the socialist route, move to Venezuela. See how that works out for you. <laughs> no, I, you know, I'm with you. And I always think about, uh, you know, how can we part of the solution? So as you're thinking about areas to invest in or businesses that you may be looking at, you know, look at the things that, like you said, with uh, the cleaning. It's exactly what you did with the cleaning supplies company. What you're doing with the... Um, um, the eco company, the scooter, the electric vehicle. Um, yeah. Yeah, those those are going to be industries or opportunities that are still going to be in demand. You know, right. and you may not be able to time it to the exact day or month when those things will be in demand, but you know that right. the trend is in your the trend is your friend, as they say. Very good. I like that, Phil. The trend. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I always encourage any entrepreneurship spirit out there. You know, and everyone should eventually want to work for themselves. Everyone should yeah. want to be their own boss. I've always said that. There's nothing nothing beats not having to answer to anybody. You know, I had a boss once. I got fired once. I don't like fucking answering to anybody. I'm my biggest fan, <laughs> as you can tell. So at the end of the day, anyhow, any way I encourage anyone to work for themselves, do it. In the meantime, if you have to go get three jobs, get three jobs. If I had to tomorrow to put my kids through school, to feed them, had to work delivering in the morning, driving in the daytime, pulling pints at nighttime, I'd fucking do it. Mm-hmm. Um, I have the work ethic. And work ethic's missing amongst a lot of different generations nowadays i have no problem working 16 hours a day i do work 14 15 16 hours a day six days a week i don't do weekends most people love weekends they think oh monday to friday never existed in my vocabulary people always say how did you get wealthy because i don't do weekends if i i can now because i can afford to but when i was on the up i work seven days a week (laughs) work ethic well let's wrap up just by uh, and i think it may be related to um you know, business businesses that you're working in are on as well right now. So how, how much longer you got left in the UK before I'm you're uh, heading out? I go to Dubai on the weekend, as long as I, my, my PCR test is fine and whatever. I go to Dubai. I've got a lot of business meetings in Dubai. Um, I'll be in Dubai for a week before I head back to the States. So I'm, I'm quite excited about the business meetings I've gotten in Dubai. Some of them are sports related. Some of them mm-hmm. is personal. Um, you know, me and my wife have spoken about if the election doesn't go the way we think it should go or whatever else in the States, the, the change in pattern in America economically the next two years, you know, we could move to Dubai. I love living in America. I wanted to become a citizen. You know, I wanted to, you know, we have our green card. Um, 
but I, I don't like what I see in the States. I, I don't like the, the temperature. Um, I think economically, before COVID, it was fine. I know everyone's not a fan of Trump. They want to call you a racist if you're a Republican or you support Trump. I'm conservative in nature. But what he's done economically and what the party have done economically, I've got no issue with. And I'm quite happy for another four years of that. I'm very concerned about the other party and some of the radical ideas and stuff they've got and how that's going to affect myself, my family, my children, and my way of life. I want to, If you want mm-hmm. me to sound selfish, I'll sound selfish because we all are. We're, it's about our families. Yeah. And if that doesn't go to plan, I, I am very concerned. So, yeah, Sleepy Joe gets in. You know, I, I might potentially have to move. So um, I don't want to take it off the table. And my biggest thing in life is I'm a planner. I always have a plan B and a plan C. Yeah. Uh, you know, plan B and C would be living outside of the States, which I don't mm-hmm. want to have because my kids love school. They love living in the States and now they're back in full-time school. It would break their hearts. And if they're listening to this podcast now, I'm probably they're probably calling me the biggest wanker they've ever met in their <laughs> life. <laughs> so, You're going to be getting text messages and phone calls from them. Yeah. yeah. So that, that's how I feel about it. Yes, yeah. absolutely. You know what I mean? And um, I know we're very different, different politically, mm-hmm. each to their own. Um, you know, and, and that's that's how I feel. I'm I'm okay with four more years. Um, you know, of, of where we were going economically and growth wise, um, and how it affects the things I do. It's going to be an interesting. Uh, what is it? Forty five, forty days, or something like that. Um, oh, yeah. As we run up. Oh yeah, there's going to be. I, I, I love the mainstream media in America. It's like every three. You can tell they're panicking over Trump getting back in. Every three days, there's a new story. You know, there was the book with, with obviously Woodward, you know, and then there was the what he said about the soldiers. And then there was he, he, he sexually assaulted some woman 20 years ago. And then there was two days later or something else. Every two days until Election Day, it will be some other scandal will come out because the media are just obsessed with getting him out of the office. I don't know. I'd, I'd say the other way in that he, he creates um – They've never had something so good as him as president because he, the stories that get created, whether it's because of the passioner um, or because, you know, he doesn't help himself. Uh, I, no, you're right about that. He can't at times. He can't. He puts his foot in there. He's do whatever else. And, and listen, I get all of that. The persona, the things people don't really know him. I, I get why a lot of people dislike him. I have no problem with that. And I respect your opinion on that. I just I hate where people don't, you know, if you do support him or the party, it's like, oh, you're this, you're that, whatever. I, I like anyone having an opinion that's different from mine. Yeah. Um, but it's going to be it's interesting. labeling. Yeah, it is labeling, Phil. It is. You know, I joke about calling you a lib. You know, mm-hmm. you could you, you could joke about calling me stuff. Well, you don't take it personally. I don't take it personally. What amazes me is the money he's made the media. Why they're so hell bent right. getting them out? Because well, that's the why media I say will disappear gonna, for years. They're going <laughs> to lose the most if he's not around. Yeah, yeah, that's what's mad. It's mad. You know what I mean? So look, <clears throat> we'll find out in forty-five days or fifty days. It'll be interesting. Um, let's see what happens. It's going to be interesting. Yeah. But listen, for those of you out there listening, you know. With the podcast, we want to do sports, life, business, and anyone who's opening a business, anyone who wants investment in a business, anyone has a question about their job, their work, they're worried about things, throw in your questions to Phil. You know, we want this podcast to be two ways between us, you, the people, um, and, and it's really important. Everyone has a voice, and, and we might talk about things you don't like. We might talk about things you do like, but we're not all meant to agree with each other in life. That's right. the beauty about life, and it's like opinions are like ourselves. Everyone has one. And that's, you know, for me, life has to be that way. Otherwise, it would be fucking robotic, boring, mundane. You know, that's the way life should be. So on that note, that's episode 21. I'm going to say goodbye. I'm about to do the Roker Report now, the Sunderland podcast, and they'll plug our podcast hopefully as well when I do it. 
And uh, yeah, busy night of podcasts. Phil, good to see you, pal. All right. Thanks, Daryl. Well, for anybody, um, we'll be back, of course, next uh, next Wednesday. Just a reminder, I mentioned it right at the, at the top of the show. We're looking for um, somebody to help us from the post-production perspective of the podcast. So reach out, send us that email. Um, Daryl, you have a photographer that you're looking out for in Brighton. Send Correct. along the details for that, and I'll pass that along to you as well, Daryl, if anyone's interested. So, Sounds of course, good. anyone can always come to us via the website to reach out with questions. That's at hardtruthfootball.com slash contact. So until next week, Dara, have a good one. Phil, get the fuck out of here. Cheerio.